Welcome to the Table Community Church Podcast. The Table is located in the Gallatin Valley in Southwest Montana and is joining God in bringing people together around the good news of Jesus. If you have any questions or if there is in any way we can serve you, please let us know by reaching out to hello at thetablechurch.us. Again, that is hello at thetablechurch.us. We hope you enjoy the following episode. Okay, well, we are beginning a series in Jonah. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and go to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. We are only getting through three verses today. And someone said, oh, good, it might be a short sermon. Obviously, we haven't met. (laughs) So we will just see what happens. As we, as we move through this. And so uh, let's go ahead and jump in. Jonah 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And that's the reading of God's word for this morning. This series is called Into the Depths. And we're, we're doing this because it is Lent in the church calendar in the season of Lent. And Lent, if you're unfamiliar... Um, is a time where we take seriously and give consideration to the themes of forgiveness and mercy and brokenness. And we begin to lament with God the state of the world, the ravaging effects of brokenness. And if you don't think that this world is broken, all we need to do is turn on the news for about five minutes and you realize that things are not the way they ought to be. And there's a reason for this. We ache for a better world, and that ache, according to Scripture, is evidence that things are not the way they ought to be, and that there is a pattern that God wants for His creation and for His people. And so Lent is the time where we take seriously the themes of sin, evil, brokenness. We lament them in the world, and then we lament them within ourselves. And then we turn towards God, and we trust Him and surrender. And so we need to keep that in the back of our mind because Jonah is filled with those themes. Now, all of us in here have heard the story of Jonah multiple times, even the most distant from God sort of person or non-believer or other religion. They, they, everyone knows about the story of Jonah. And so we have a couple of obstacles. And this is why we're only going through three verses, because we have to overcome some obstacles when it comes to Jonah. The first obstacle is the obstacle of familiarity. We have been taught it. All our lives, maybe, or even if, uh, even if we haven't been in the church, we know about it. Uh, this familiarity can create, create a sense of indifference. When we hear the story of Jonah, we're thinking, oh, I know that story. I've got it in the bag. We think that we have mined all of the treasure from that sunken ship. Get ready for a lot of sea puns over the next couple of weeks. And I expect you to laugh at every single one of them because I'm working real hard to make sure that we have some good jokes here because this is going to be a heck of a, a series. So our sense of familiarity, 
But the problem is, is our familiarity is often rooted in the second obstacle, which is a misreading of Jonah. I say Jonah, you think whale or fish. The fish takes up three verses out of the entire story. It's not the point of the story. We miss it for the fish. This is often more seriously misread as a story about obedience. Obey God or else. That's not the point of the story. Obedience is important, yes, but it's not the point of the story. Here's how we know this. Jonah is, a, is disobedient in the first two chapters, and he's clearly in the wrong. Jonah is obedient in the third and fourth chapters, but still clearly in the wrong. This runs much deeper than obedience, because you can be obedient with a disobedient spirit. This runs to the depths of the heart. This is not about your obedience or lack of obedience. It's about the depths of your heart. This is what Jonah is after. I'll tell you the point of the story here in a minute, but it's, again, we have to overcome some obstacles here. Jonah is a prophetic book. It's found in the book of the prophets, the 12 minor prophets, and it's placed there on purpose because it's a prophetic work. But it's not a prophecy like the rest of them. The rest of them, God gives a word, the prophet goes and shares the word, and then the, the book is about that word. The book is the unfolding of that prophecy. Jonah's different. Jonah is a prophetic book, but it's not about a prophet speaking a message. The prophecy is the messenger himself. That's the prophecy. Jonah is the prophetic word. It's different because Jonah is the warning and the invitation. That's what a prophecy is. Prophecy is always a warning and it's always an invitation. And so the original readers look at Jonah and they're to see a warning and an invitation. He, the, the author is using a story about a historical figure and to tell us something. It's kind of like the series with, or the moment with David and Nathan, King David and Nathan. If you recall back in the earlier parts of the scripture, King David, he forces himself upon Bathsheba. He ends up getting her pregnant. He ends up conspiring and murdering the husband, but he thinks he's gotten away with it because he's powerful. He has money. He has power. He has influence. He thinks he has taken care of all the problems, but here's the thing. God's word goes to a prophet. Nathan shows up and tells a story about a man. He says, there was a man, there was a rich man and a poor man, rich farmer, poor farmer. The poor farmer had one sheep, the rich farmer had a ton of sheep. The rich farmer, so he didn't have to spend any of his sheep, stole the poor man's sheep. Nathan shows up and tells this story to David, and David gets angry. He says, this man must die. We, this, we need justice to rain down. And then Nathan says what? You are the man. And out of this, David repents. See, Nathan used a story of a figure to warn David. That's what Jonah is. The story itself is the prophecy. Now, who is actually reading this book first? couple of, again, this is going to, you're going to, I'm putting on my teaching hat a little bit more today than preaching hat, so stick with me. I need to give you some context. After Solomon, King Solomon, the, is, the nation of Israel split in two. The northern kingdom retained the name Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. The northern kingdom was 10 of the 12 tribes. Judah was two of the 12 tribes. 
and they had civil war. They were fighting one another. They were also fighting off uh, people who tried to come and conquer them and oppress them. It was very, very intense. Well, eventually the northern kingdom falls. Years later, Judah is sent into exile because they are unfaithful. Both of them were unfaithful. They fell at different times. Judah, the, the nation of Judah, ends up in Babylon for 70-something years. They are then permitted to go back, but they are weary, they are tired, they are upset. The prophecies after exile are very vengeful-like. They want payback. So we think that the first readers of the compiled events of Jonah are those coming out of exile with a vengeful spirit towards those who have oppressed them. And what's interesting is Jonah is looking at Israel and saying, you are the man. You are the man. They are so obsessed with vengeance and God's justice that they have forgotten about God's mercy and grace. That's the warning. They preach God's justice but forget his mercy. Do you see how that sounds familiar? And so it's written masterfully. Because it takes the historical events of Jonah, but it tells them not like a book of history. It tells them in a way that's supposed to speak to us. It uses, it uses irony, comedy, a little bit of satire. This doesn't mean it didn't happen, but the way the author puts it together is meant to make us look and laugh at ourselves because we are Jonah. It's meant to be a mirror that we look into and we say, that's me. For example, some of the best comedy is irony. You laugh because it's true, and it kind of jolts you a little bit. This is what Jonah is. This is how the original readers, this is how the original audience, this is how the church has interpreted it throughout history. What a shame we've reduced it to a book about obedience and a fish. The point of the story is we are Jonah. Jonah represents anybody who has been called to God, called to God and by God, sent into a particular foreign land with the good news with invitation and warning. In fact, one scholar, Leslie Allen, says this about the book of Jonah. Look out at the world, pleads the author, at God's world. See it through God's eyes and let your new vision overcome your natural bitterness, your hardness of soul. Let the divine compassion flood your own hearts. That's what Jonah's about. Jonah's purpose is to dramatically reveal the worst parts of the human heart and to show us how God's love seeks to rescue us from those depths. This series at times might be painful, but I want to distinguish between the types of pain. You have the pain from infliction, ow, I cut my hand. But sometimes what hurts worse is the pain of healing when the alcohol goes on to the hand to heal it. And sometimes the healing process hurts because it's longer. The conviction that we might feel during this series Try to interpret it through the lens of healing, that discomfort that comes from healing. And then it will serve you very well. And so, today's sermon title is called Tarshish is a Lie. Tarshish is a Lie. And what I hope you take away is simply this as we move through, is that when God's word comes to us, It reveals the depths of our heart. And the question is, how will we respond? So, 
We're not going to dive in deep because if you dive too deep too fast, you crush. So we're going to stand in the shallow water today and deal with the first three verses by looking at what is the message, what is the response, and what in the world does it have to do with me. So let's jump right in. What is the message in verses 1 and 2? Well, this message, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, this is very common for prophetic works. It always opens with, the word of the Lord came to. This is very expected, nothing really controversial at this moment. A word comes to the prophet. That's what you would expect. But who is this Jonah figure? Jonah, would have been very, Jonah, son of Amittai, would have been very familiar to the original readers. They would have known him. They would have known his name, known his ministry, and they would have immediately been, that guy? Jonah's only mentioned a couple other times in Scripture. In the New Testament by Jesus, and in one small verse in 2 Kings. The readers knew who Jonah would be because Jonah was a prophet to King Jeroboam in the middle of the 8th century who reigned for 41 years. He had a long reign that challenged the greatness of Solomon at certain points. Jonah was a prophet to the northern kingdom. Remember, northern, southern kingdom. Jeroboam was the king in the north. And there was fighting, all sorts of stuff going on. But that's the context which Jonah lived and which he prophesied. Now, remember, after Solomon, the nations torn in two. They were hostile. Jeroboam was the king in this northern kingdom. And what he did was he expanded the territory. He secured the borders and led to a bunch of prosperity in the northern kingdom. Sounds like a good thing. But the problem is, is that scripture tells us that Jeroboam too was one of the most evil kings. So here you have an evil king of God's nation leading them into secure lands, prosperity, goodness. What's going on here? Well, let's pick up in 2 Kings 14, 25-27. It says, He, Jeroboam, restored Israel's borders... From Lebohamath, as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel had spoken through his servant, the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai, from Gath-hefer, which is around Galilee. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter for both slaves and free people. There was no one to help Israel. So, Jeroboam is an evil king, according to the verse above it. But God sends Jonah with good news to a bad king. Here's the thing. The reason why God did this is not because the king was good, but because Israel was suffering. This tells us that you can have a flourishing economy and the people still suffer. Let the reader understand. Jonah was sent, though, with good news, a season of prosperity. They didn't deserve it. Israel had walked away from God, too. They didn't deserve it. Historically, has had to deliver good news in a bad situation. The thing is, is at the same time Jonah was was a prophet to King Jeroboam, Amos... Nahum were also prophets coming from the south prophesying against the king that Jonah was speaking on behalf of. They were saying Jeroboam needs to fall. Jeroboam is evil. And here's Jonah with the word from God seeming to say something different. Can you feel some of the tension? 
both prophets were right. Israel would fall shortly thereafter at the hands of Assyria, where Nineveh is. They had a season of prosperity, and they collapsed. So both prophets were right, but there was tension. So when Judah sees son of Amittai, Jonah son of Amittai, as, as they are the first readers, they're thinking, that guy who gave a word of prophecy, of prosperity, while the South suffered? That guy? What a joke. We're to feel that the, what the original readers did. We don't like this guy. They begin to sneer. They look down at Jonah. But again, remember, Jonah is a prophecy to Judah. You are Jonah. So, what is this message? Get up. Go to Nineveh. Call out against it. You see, in the scriptures, Nineveh is actually more infamous than Sodom and Gomorrah. It's got more press than those two cities. And it's known as one of the most evil cities, what we would call today as a terrorist state. This is a terrorist state. They would conquer. They were violent. Um, I don't want to keep the G-rated version of Jonah that we have grown up on, the VeggieTales version. Um, but I can't list and describe for you the things that they would do to, their, to, the, to the people they would conquer. Prophetic books are dedicated to the decline of Nineveh. L listen to Nahum, again, a contemporary of Jonah, Nahum 1.15. He's talking about the wiping out of Nineveh. Look to the mountains, the feet of the herald who proclaims peace. Keep that word in mind, peace. He's talking about peace for God's people. Celebrate your festivals, Judah. Fulfill your vows, for the wicked one will never come again, march through you. He will be entirely wiped out. This is about Nineveh. And here is God again with Jonah. Having a dual prophetic war, Jonah with good news for a bad city. Can you feel why Jonah might not want to do this? And at this point, the Judah, the Judeans, would begin to empathize a little bit with Jonah. We hate Nineveh. Yes, go call out against it. But here's the problem. To call out, to send a prophet, is to offer repentance. Why send a prophet if there's no possibility of repentance? Jonah says this is the problem in Jonah 4.2. He knows that if he goes, there's a chance they'll repent. And keep in mind, Israel was conquered and destroyed by Nineveh. The ten tribes were never rebuilt because of Ninevites, Assyrians. So Jonah going to Nineveh would be very unpopular. Again, he is an unpopular prophet, and he's probably frustrated. This would be like sending a Jewish individual to the doors of Hitler during the Holocaust with no aid, except a word. This would be like a Ukrainian who has lost everything by him or herself going up to Putin and saying judgment's coming with the opportunity for them to repent. Do you feel that? So we shouldn't be quick to judge because who doesn't want justice from, from those who have taken everything? And this is the tension of following Jesus, is seeking justice 
without forgetting God's justification, his desire to save. To eliminate oppression without becoming an oppressor. Dr. Martin Luther King wrote extensively about this. He said, true liberation occurs when the liberated feel no need to oppress those who oppress them. So what is Jonah's response? Ironically, Jonah, son of Amittai, the name is perfect. Perfect. Because the name Jonah means dove, the symbol of peace throughout Scripture. Amittai means faithfulness. So here you have the word of the Lord comes to dove, son of faithfulness. Get up and go to Nineveh. The dove of faithfulness says, no, I'm flying away. That's part of the irony. We're even to understand the name of Jonah as ironic in this story. The dove flies away. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish. And as he does, he goes to this port named, called Joppa. Now, years later, another follower of Jesus would be in Joppa when he receives a vision that he is to go to an non-desirable person to share the good news and welcome him in. This disciple's name was Peter, and his, the person of his mission was Cornelius. Joppa has some strange significance here of revelation. But Jonah gets to Joppa, and his revelation is the hustle and bustle. This was a, port, a trade port. He's seeing merchants come in. He's seeing gold loaded off, uh, food, merchandise, clothing, beautiful, beautiful things coming off these massive ships that have come from Tarshish. He is now in a place where there is not singular just one God, where there's a, many of gods. It's a diverse city. It's very exciting. The only God is the marketplace, and it seems to be doing very well. Jonah is at Joppa, and he goes, I want to go where all of this flourishing is coming from. So he boards a ship that should take about a year and a half to get to this place called Tarshish. Tarshish, here's a map for you. It's the ends of the earth. Let me show you where Joppa is. Joppa is right there. Tarshish, we believe, is right here. Ends of the earth, the known world. But it's this place of mystery, according to history. It's a place of, of wealth, power, status, comfort. All of these ships are coming from Tarshish and going to Tarshish. It's luxury, it's comfort. It's away from the difficult word that God has to say to Jonah. We often think about Jonah fleeing, don't we? We hear that a lot. Have you ever wondered about where Jonah is fleeing to? We're never just fleeing from something. Anytime we flee, we are moving towards something else. Jonah could have chosen any place, but the, narrative, the story says Tarshish. Jonah is going after the American dream of antiquity. But it's against God's word. But here's the thing. That American dream, statistically, is leading many people to a nightmare. 
of loneliness, anxiety, depression, frustration, emptiness, boredom, transience, hopping from one thing to the next, looking for the next best thing, while their souls remain empty and dissatisfied. Oftentimes, the consumerism of our culture shapes us far more than scripture. I love where we live. I love the opportunities that we get to experience in America. I do. I'm thankful for the sort of society that we live in. We should be. It's a unique, wonderful project. But one of my favorite scholars, theologians and heroes, Leslie Newbigin, I've mentioned him a time or two, he said, the free market is an excellent servant, but a horrible master. Jonah is fleeing from God only to find the tyranny of self-creation through what he wants, his desires. He wants to climb up. But here's the thing, intentionally in this passage in verse 3, the author uses a word repeating-wise. And this is why some people think Jonah is written for elementary because it repeats words. No, that's a literary device. It wants to catch it. Listen to Jonah 1.3. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, but he went down to Joppa, found a ship to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into the ship. And then a couple of verses later, it's going to say he went down and then down. We're to see that every step away from the presence of God and towards something else, anything else, is a step down away from God's presence and the life-giving invitation that he offers. God was inviting Jonah to see things as he does, to see Nineveh as potentially redeemed rather than just destroyed. Our sinful nature, we, we, we are hell-bent on destruction. Look at the YouTube videos of political commentary. So-and-so crushed this person's argument. This person destroys this argument. We love a good fight. God is inviting Jonah to see something different. So he pays to get on the ship, but the wages of sin is death. So he goes down, 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 away. He's avoiding the call. That's what it means to flee the presence of God here. But to disconnect from God who is life, logically and spiritually means spiritual death. And this is what Jonah is going to come to experience when we look at it next week. But he is descending. He may be climbing up in the world, but he is descending in his relationship with God. That's what we're to see here. He thinks Tarshish is the grass that is greener on the other side. But Tarshish is a lie. When we flee from God, we run to something, and anything other than God will leave us empty. So what in the world does this have to do with me? Well, God is at work in the world, and this serves as a warning and invitation to anybody who says they follow God. The warning is don't run. The invitation is see things the way God wants to see them and your life will be reworked 
your life will take on a different perspective, where your vision of the good life will change. That's the invitation. Jonah ran because the word came to him and it confronted his deeper allegiances and he couldn't take it. This word came. Now that's the point. Notice the story opens with the word. Jonah is actually not the point of the story. God's word is the movement and point of the story. It moves throughout. It appoints the fish. It speaks to Jonah again and God gets the last word. All of it is how God's word is confronting us and challenging us and inviting us. He didn't want any of it. John Stott, I love what he said. John Stott has... uh, He said that we must allow the Word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. This is the Word of the Lord coming to us, challenging us, saying, you are the man. You are Jonah. At some level and in some way, at the depths of your heart, you are the man. A word comes through prophecy, vision, and scripture, but it's a concrete message speaking to our lives. And so what in the world does this have to do with you? The first thing is that the word comes to all of us. All of us. All of us. How do we hear it? Well, Jonah fled from the presence of God, but many of us don't even have a calendar that has disciplined time with the presence of God. We can't expect to hear God if we're not spending time with him. Jonah clearly heard from God. He just didn't want to do it. So how do we do it? Well, I love what Deuteronomy says. Listen to this. It's talking about the word. It's talking about the message of God. It is not in the heavens so that you have to ask who will go up to heaven to get it for us and proclaim it to us that we may follow it. And it is not across the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it for us. Certainly not Jonah. And proclaim it so that we may follow it. But the message is very near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart that you might follow it. God's word is in your heart, speaking to those depths. But it might hurt a little bit. But how do we filter that sense of uncomfortableness, that unsettledness? Hebrews 4.12 helps us out. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as separation of the soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must give an account. This is what happened to Jonah. The word came to him, it confronted him, it exposed him, it exposed his deeper commitments. And he realized that God is actually not the highest love. I've got other higher loves. It's my agenda, my vision of the good life, how I want to live. God, I reject your vision. It separated in Jonah's heart. what was good and false. So the word comes to all, and we all have a Nineveh. The message is to deal with something that we don't want to do, which is the common thread throughout Scripture. Can you find for me any person in Scripture of God who God told to do something, and they're like, heck yeah, let's do it. No. There was one. One. The word confronts. And we all have a Nineveh. So Nineveh for you might be something external. Nineveh might be, go do this. Go, go, go talk to that person. Go lead that thing. Go do. I don't know what Nineveh is, but it's probably the thing you don't want to do that you know God is telling you you need to do. That's what your Nineveh is. But Nineveh for most of us, 
or all of us, is truly in here. It's the hidden sin that no one knows about. It's that space where you don't want to go. It's that confession you don't want to make. It's the thing that you would say, I would rather go to the ends of the earth than have someone know that about me. That's Nineveh. The word comes to all. We all have a Nineveh and we all have a Tarshish. Eugene Peterson is a pastor, was a pastor, and he uh, ended his time here on earth, here in Montana. But he pastored, a, he pastored a congregation and worked a lot with inner city situations. And um, in his book on Jonah, he talks about his Tarshish. He was hoping to find the next best congregation because pastoral ministry is difficult. He was involved in this church. He had all these ideas, and they, they never came to fruition. It was too challenging. People had too many opinions. All, all, all of the stuff that we all know that we have to deal with as, as a church. But he had this ideal that he could board a ship and go to Tarshish, which was the next church. Maybe there's that church. Maybe that church will be different. Maybe this church will be different. And he said they spent time after time. He, went, he said three times he bought a ticket to Tarshish, where he started applying for other church positions. Three times. He said, but he could never go on the ship, not because he didn't want to, because God wouldn't let him. For him, Tarshish was an ideal congregation where there is passionate worship all the time, and everybody prays, and, and there's no conflict because everyone's just in unity, and oh man, everyone just agrees. It's just a beautiful church. That's what he wanted. That was Tarshish. But in his book, he says, I came to find out that Tarshish was a lie. That the thing I wanted to run to, it wasn't right. And Tarshish is a lie. It's a pro it promises escape, but it leaves you empty. It smells like safety and security, but actually leads you to sink. And part of me knows that you feel that, and you know that. The word comes to all. We all have a Nineveh. We all have a Tarshish. That's what it has to do with you. That's what Jonah has to do with you. But here's the thing. There was one, one who didn't flee from Nineveh, but plunged into the depths and not only called out against Nineveh, but absorbed the consequence of Nineveh. And this is Jesus. Jesus and John 1. We find this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him and apart from Him. Not one thing that was created has been created. In Him was life. This is what God was inviting Jonah into, a new life to see the, most, the worst parts of who we are and who others are, completely redeemed in Jesus, renewed in Jesus. In Him was life, and that life was the light of man because when the Word comes, it reveals our, the depths of our need and the depths of our heart. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus is God's word who has come to all. He has exposed the depths of our heart. He has not only confronted evil, but has crushed evil within him, delivering a fatal blow. Evil lingers on like a wild beast who's wounded, 
but it has been fatally shot by the cross. Jesus is the word that has confronted us. How will we respond now that the word has confronted us and said, I'm calling you into life, go into the world and offer this good news. The word revealed the depths of our, of our heart. Will we respond like Jonah? Jonah was invited to see things the way God did. He preferred his vision, his ways. How does that work out? Let's pray. Thanks for checking us out and listening to the podcast. We hope this resource has been meaningful for you during this time in your life. We invite you to share this episode and leave us a review to let us know how we are doing in sharing the gospel in our cultural climate. Be sure to check us out online at thetablechurch.us.